Just want to share something with you, and I want to start with just a couple rhetorical questions, um, and you'll know the answer better than I will to these. But in this room we're in right now, how many lives have been changed over the decades? How many missionaries have been commissioned right here? How many mission teams have been prayed for as they go out into the world to share the gospel? How many mission teams have been celebrated as they came back in? How how many children at Vacation Bible School right here have had their eternal destinies changed? How many people have gone under the water in that tub right there demonstrating new life in Jesus, how, how many kids like Noah Reedy this morning were, were, were set aside and prayed for? And then how many of those same children did we see the faithfulness of God years later when they trusted in Jesus as their Savior in this room? And the reason I'm talking this way to you is because we committed as a church several years ago to begin a campaign called Refresh. Um, And the next phase in our Refresh campaign is going to be called Refresh, not going to be called, is called Refresh Worship. And right now we are undertaking the part of this project where we are doing research to figure out what must take place to bring this room up to date. Mainly we're talking about deferred maintenance in this room. Uh, No decisions have been made at this point about what we're going to do, but here is the commitment that we are making as a leadership team to you. It's twofold. Number one... Uh, this will be a debt-free campaign, right? This church worked really hard to see the faithfulness of God in paying off the debt. Amen. So no new debt to do this. Uh, and number two commitment that we're, we're making to you is that we will keep you in the loop and communicate clearly with you. Now, you're not going to hear a whole lot over the next couple of months, because right now we're just researching and meeting and trying to figure out what it looks like to have paint and carpet and things in this room. But this fall, you will begin to hear far more about this. These are exciting days, and we are, I am excited because I believe, of all the things, the questions that I asked a few moments ago, I pray to God in 25 years, someone stands up here and asks the same question and says, what has God done in here? in the last 25 years. And my prayer is that over the next 25 years, we see more people come to faith in Jesus than we did in the last 25 years. We see more people sent out from here than we did in the last 25 years. We see more boys and girls come to faith in Jesus in here because they hear the gospel clearly than we did in the previous 25 years. Amen? So I'm excited just to undertake this with you and look forward to how God leads us over the next couple of months. Now, open up your Bibles and go to John chapter 3 with me, if you will. We're jumping forward to John chapter 3, the most famous chapter in the Bible. And as you turn there, we're going to look at some familiar verses this morning that I hope and pray will open up our eyes maybe to a, a... 
a new and fresh view of this passage this morning. We're looking at the encounter that Jesus had with one of the Pharisees, one of the teachers of Israel. His name, of course, was Nicodemus. And we learn a great deal. We're in a series around here. If you're new this morning, we're in a series around here where we are studying what the Bible has to say about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so the title of today's message, which I realize does not make for proper English, is the Holy Spirit makes new. The Holy Spirit makes new. And in the encounter that we see with Nicodemus through Jesus' teaching this morning, we're going to see that lived out in a powerful way. Now, let's introduce it in this way. In the New Testament, there are two words, two Greek words, that are used to describe life. Or rather, two words that are translated into the English word life. The first one, we'll put these up on the screen. The first one is bios. Bios equals life. Now, you don't have to be a student of languages to look at the word bio and say, oh, I know some English words that start with bio, don't you? I mean, what are some English words that start with bio? Biology. Okay, good, good. You guys are, you guys are, are sharp. No matter what other people Say, you're a sharp bunch this morning. I'm not going to tell you who those other people are. You're sharp in here. Okay, biology. What else? Biography. It's a book about somebody's what? An autobiography is a book that you would write about what? Your life. Okay, good, good, good. So bios equals life. Now, I want you to hold your finger there in John chapter 3. And just turn over a little bit to Luke chapter 8. We'll see this word put into use in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. Luke chapter 8, we run into Jesus telling a parable here. And the parable that he is telling is the parable of the sower. A sower went out and he sowed seeds. Some fell here, some fell there. Uh, and when Jesus gets to the point where he's explaining the parable to the disciples, I want you to look down at verse 14 in Luke chapter 8. Luke, 14, Luke 8, 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of bios, of life. And their fruit does not mature. Now, the word for life here in Luke 8 is bios. It's the word that we end up getting biology, biochemistry, biodegradable, able to break down into small harmless particles by the action of living things. So we get this word bios that means life that shows up in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. And Jesus says here about the seed that fell on the ground. As for what fell among the thorns... There are those here, but as they go on their way, they're choked out by their careers and riches and pleasures of what? Bios. Okay? So totally opposed to the word bios that means life is the other word that we sort of referenced. Okay? Two words. Remember? Bios meaning life. Here's the second word. You might have heard of this one. This word is called zoe. Zoe is a New Testament Greek word that means life. Now, in the passage that we're studying this morning, back in Luke chapter 3, 
we see Jesus talking about bios. It's also Luke chapter 14. I mean, excuse me, John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, that famous verse in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the zoe, not the bios. So what Jesus is, is, get, is trying to draw our attention to here is there's a whole different kind of life that Jesus is the originator for. It, it's different than just you have something to be alive, to have blood running through its veins or breath going through its lungs. Jesus is saying something different. Verse 7 of, of John chapter 14, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. So we read about Zoe, this different kind of life, so that when Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and that you have life abundantly or to the full, he's talking about a different kind of a life experience, a, a life full of vigor and purpose and meaning. Right? That's what Jesus meant when he said, I've not just come to give you life, not just bios, something more, something more. And that's what he's talking about with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Zoe life is found in the blessing of others. This is important. Zoe life is found in the blessing of others and in serving of others. Bios life, now think about it with me if you will. Biology, biochemistry, these are about physical life. What does physical life need to maintain itself? It needs to consume. You see it? Bios life, just, just being alive. It's, it's, it's a consuming thing. Zoe life that Jesus is talking about with Nicodemus over here is the exact opposite. It's not found in consuming and gimme, gimme, give me. Zoe life is found in give, give, give. Jesus is saying there's a whole different thing. Everybody can have this bios life, right? If you're born, if you breathe, you have that. But, but not many have this life, this real, deep, true life that's only found in Jesus. That's the Zoe life. And, and it's a true statement that people long for something more. They don't know what it's called. And, and the reality is you don't need to go out of this room this morning. Next time you're talking to somebody that doesn't know Jesus, you don't need to sit with them and be like, all right, let me talk to you about two Greek words. They, they don't care. They don't need to know that. What they need to know is that real life is found in who? Jesus. No matter what's called in the Greek. Real life is found in Jesus. But, but all of our earthly instincts... Are, are, are stuck in this other kind of life, this, this bios life, survival of the fittest type of life. Uh, uh, we have to scratch and claw our way to the top to try and meet our needs, right? We, we see it play out in our careers. We see it play out in the, the, the work world all the time, and not just there. We see it play out in relationships. That's why we have to feel like we work so hard to get our needs met by people, but there's something in us that craves more than that. And the only way that we know intuitively to deal with that and to try to meet that need is what? By taking from others. Trying to get something from someone else. Okay, we, we, we step on someone or, or put someone down further to elevate ourselves as we do. We get in arguments and, and we try to, we're always trying to pull ourselves. That's the pull, the downward pull. 
of bios life. Always trying to pull us down, right? As we're trying to claw our way up. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, right? When we talk about that event, we call that what? The the fall. It's the fall. It's being pulled down. Being pulled down into meeting my needs, getting my wants. It's intentionally called the fall, right? It's the exact opposite of what Jesus brings. It's just raising us up, okay? You see it? When we try to meet our own needs, right? When we try to get ours, right? When we try to live by these, these instincts inside of us, we're always being pulled down, and we continue to fall, just like Adam and Eve did. Right now, this is—I just want to clear something. This is not going to be a health and wealth message about how you can attain, you know, some higher level of of living. And we're going to go out of here and pray some magic, you know, prayer, and all our all our tears will be gone forever. In fact, this is pretty much the total opposite of that. But but I think what we'll see as we experience more of this abundant life, the Zoe life, the life in Christ that he came to give us, I think what we're going to see, this is the beauty of it. The beauty of living in the kingdom of God is that the more we experience the Christ life, that's what, let's call it the Christ life, the more we see that influence and take control of the rest of our life. And some of you have noticed in your own walks with Jesus, in your own relationship with Jesus, that the more Jesus controls your life, the more it influences everything about it because Jesus didn't come just to have part of our, our, our lives. He wants, how much of your life does he want? He wants all of it, right? He wants the Christ life invading our marriages. He wants the Christ life invading our parenting. Jesus wants to influence the way we raise our kids. Jesus wants to call the shots in, in the way we do relationship with one another. Jesus wants to call the shots in the way that we run our businesses. Jesus wants to call the shots in the way we operate in the classroom or the way we operate in the operating room. He wants to invade every part of our life. He wants to take control of us. So there's a couple things here in John chapter 3 that we're going to read about in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus about how the Spirit does that. So John chapter 3, starting in verse 1, here's the first truth that we're going to see, that the Spirit gives new life, not religion. The Spirit gives new life, not religion. Verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That's, that's a very, very interesting phrase, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus, watch the way Jesus, I mean, Jesus is brilliant. Look at how Jesus answers him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, look at what Nicodemus said to Jesus. What does Nicodemus say about seeing the kingdom of God? Anything? Nothing. Nicodemus approaches Jesus and doesn't say anything about the kingdom of God. But Jesus responds with the kingdom. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and we, you know this. If you've been around church for more than just a year or so, 
you've heard talk about this group, this interesting group of people in the New Testament called the Pharisees. The Pharisees, like a, a, an elementary understanding of the Pharisees would be this. The Pharisees in the New Testament wore black hats, right? They're the bad guys in the New Testament, right? If the New Testament was an old Western, then the guys who show up wearing the black hats are called the Pharisees. And that's pretty much the extent of what a lot of people know about the Pharisees. But the Pharisees were much more than just the villains of the New Testament. The Pharisees, let me just tell you what the Pharisees were known for. Pharisees were known for the most exact observance of the Jewish religion. That's not a bad thing. Uh, They were known for their accurate exposition of the law. That's, That's not a bad thing either. They were known for their handing down of extra-biblical customs and traditions. Well, now that's taking it a bit far. But the most heartbreaking thing about the Pharisees is this. Culturally, the Pharisees were recognized more as a political party or a philosophical school than they were as lovers of God. You, and and you, you just saw it in... in there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And then what does John say? What were the Pharisees? He said they were rulers of the Jews. This, my friends, is a key indicator that someone has completely lost the plot. When they are recognized, when I am recognized more for my political views or affiliation than I am for my love of Jesus and people. And that's exactly where so many are in the world today. They claim to be followers of Jesus. Many have become modern day Pharisees because of this very same thing. Bios life pulling us down. Okay, But what we need to sort of gather around is the fact that The Pharisees were actually the most religious people um, in the land of these days. They were the leading scholars in their day regarding Scripture. In other words, they knew this book better than anyone else. The Pharisees knew the Bible better than any of us in this room today. They knew what you hold in your hands, this wonderful holy book, these words of God. They knew it. They had done Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. It was their entire life. You know what they didn't have? We talked about this a few months, a few weeks ago. They didn't have any fruit from that. They were so afraid of messing up that they created these giant religious walls around their lives to try and keep them safe. But remember the first truth that we said. The Spirit comes to give life, not religion. And Nicodemus, here's the key. He approaches Jesus honestly here, and I think it's important for us to realize that he comes sincerely when he approaches the Savior. And and Jesus has a very, honestly, a very confusing conversation. I mean, Jesus responds to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus says, hey, 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 Nicodemus says, hey, we know you come from God. And Jesus responds with, we know you come from God with, you you need to, you really could use being born again. It's a very awkward thing to way to respond to somebody. Well, these Pharisees believed, you know, all these same things that Jesus believed about the Old Testament. I mean, they're the leading scholars. They believed that the soul was eternal. 
How many of us in here believe the soul or the spirit lasts forever? Just raise your hand with me. You believe that there is an element of people that's going to live forever? Is that all of us in the room? Just raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Okay, good, good, good. Um, you agree with the Pharisees on that point. All right, the Pharisees believed that there would be future punishment or reward. How many of us in the room believe in a future punishment or reward? Would you just raise your hands high if you believe that? That's great. You, so far, you're really good Pharisees, by the way. It's good news. The Bible talks about this, right? You agree with the Pharisees on that. Um, the Pharisees also believed regarding this future punishment and reward that it was related to how well you lived in this life. And this is the reality where Jesus and the Pharisees would diverge from one another. This is where Jesus would say, ah, you guys are, are missing the mark here. Jesus says, no, 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 no. That it is only by faith, that it is only through grace, it is only through the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make that people would enjoy eternal reward in him. And the truth is that Jesus died for the Pharisees too, that they would be able to enter into the grace of God, experience the kingdom of God. So Jesus says to Nicodemus, and this is important, I want you to hear this. Jesus said to Nicodemus that he could, he could experience new life not because of his religion, but he could experience new life in spite of his religion. But never because of it. A person, a person cannot, it is impossible to experience new eternal life because of religion. Because religion doesn't save people. Jesus saves people. This is what Nicodemus is, try, is, is, is yearning to see, and this is what Jesus is trying to get him to see. Let me say it again. I think it's an important point for us to get. Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, you can experience new life in spite of your religion, but never because of it. So Jesus approaches Nicodemus and says, Nicodemus, what you're looking for cannot be found in, in following rules. I've said this thousands of times if I've said it once in my life, and you've heard it thousands of times, and you've probably said it yourself many, many times, that Christianity is about relationship, not religion. You with me? This is what Jesus is preaching to Nicodemus here. Religion is not what the Holy Spirit brings. He brings new life. Now notice this. Nicodemus shows up. He says, we believe you're from God. Jesus says, you, you, you need new life. Nicodemus didn't come asking that question, but Jesus looked at him knowing the condition of his heart, and, he, and Nicodemus was the most religious guy in the room. And he says, you, you need new life. You want to taste and experience the deep things of life? Then you have to be born again is the way Jesus put it. This is the message of Christ. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And that is the same truth that is real for us today, beloved. If you want to experience Zoe life, life that doesn't stop, Jesus would compare it to an everlasting well of fresh water inside a person that will last forever, then it only happens by being born anew in Jesus. And Jesus said, if you're religious, you need to be born again. And there's some of us in this room, let's just be honest with each other for a moment, that have gotten religion, but Jesus has never gotten us. 
And that's a sad biography on a person's life. If you've gotten church and you've gotten religion, but Jesus hasn't gotten you, you're just like Nicodemus. And Jesus is is passionately and graciously saying to people today, you need new life. Jesus would say to you, you need to be born again this morning. He looked at the most ethical man in the land, the teacher of Israel, and said, you need life. And and if you, you begin a conversation with somebody Today, it's happened so many, dozens of times in my life. If you were to have a conversation with, with someone and your goal is to share the gospel of Jesus with them. You know, many times we start that conversation in different ways. And, uh, well, you know, we'll, sometimes we'll beat around the bush and, well, where do you, where do you attend church? Right? And, and, oh, I go down here. Oh, yeah, how long have you been there? Oh, you know, my granddad went there, my parents went there. What's the pastor's name? Oh, I can't remember, you know. They hadn't been there in like seven years themselves. Or, or you know, you just begin to, hey, what do you think is important in life? And they may say something, oh, family and, you know, be, being good to one another. And if you ever get around to asking the question about, are you a follower of Jesus? Do you know what I've experienced a lot of people will say to you? We've been a part of that church for a long time. My my granddaddy helped build that church. Or we give money to that church. You know what those are? Those are religious answers to questions about eternity. And the Holy Spirit came to bring a life, not... Religion, look, I don't mishear me and say that all religions, religious people are, are, are lost. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this. There are many that have been conditioned to believe that like Nicodemus, that pedigree earns relationship with God. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. Pedigree does not earn relationship with God. The Spirit came to give life, not religion. Number two, truth. The Spirit gives new life, not new knowledge. Let me show you this. That's not to say the Holy Spirit never gives new knowledge. The Bible is very clear that he does. But that's not the main point of his life. His point is new life. Where do we see this? Watch Nicodemus. Came to Jesus and said, Rabbi, we already read this. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher. We know that you're a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things unless God is with them. So he knew a truth. Nicodemus could see that Jesus was God. um, But any fool could see that. Flip back, just be honest, you're right there, just flip back one page. Go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. And just, if your Bible has these headings in them, subheadings, look at the headings. What do you see there? The first one I have in mind is the wedding at Cana. Remember the story about the wedding at Cana? Jesus did what? He turned water into wine. Um, Now now look down at the second heading. Jesus cleanses the temple, right? And Nicodemus says, we know you're from God. Why? Because these things that have been taking place in John chapter 2. The wedding at Cana, Jesus turned water into the best wine. Like you get a reputation when you do that. People began to talk like, 
Well, who else can do that? We've never seen anybody do that. You ever seen that done at a wedding before? No, no, no. Who did that? Yeah, oh, the carpenter's son. The son of Joseph, the Nazarene did that. Wow. And then he shows up at the temple, and he breaks out a whip, and he starts chasing people out and says, you're not going to dishonor my father's house. This is to be a place of, of worship of a holy God, and you guys are taking advantage of people and preying on people, and he chased them out. What do you get when you do? You get a reputation. Man, this is, he's saying things and doing things that only, that, that only someone from God would say and do. So Nicodemus sees it. He recognized it. He, he, he agreed with what many in the world would agree with today. This is not a new claim. But it doesn't make you a Christian. You're not a follower of Christ just because you recognize that Jesus has something to do with God. No knowledge is good enough to make a person new. The only one that can do that is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit makes new. You could memorize every single word of this marvelous work that we hold. All of the New Testament, all of the Old Testament. You could be a scholar in the Greek, a scholar in the Hebrew. You could understand it, memorize it in its original languages, get PhDs in both, and teach it and be renowned around the world as the smartest man or woman when it comes to the Bible, and you could still not know Jesus. Holy Spirit doesn't come to just bring knowledge, but to bring life. You're born with bios life, but Zoe life only comes because of the Spirit of God. There must be a time when you weren't alive, so there can be a time when you are alive. Why? Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Scripture tells us this over and over and over. So whether we just strive to have the best bios life or whether we have something far deeper and far more real, it only happens because the Spirit does it. So Jesus says, listen, listen, Nicodemus, you'll see the kingdom when you've been born of the Spirit and you'll begin to see things differently and things will have changed for you. You won't just see things at face value. The Spirit will bring life. Every Christian is a person that has been changed because they've experienced it for themselves. When I was, oh, I don't know, maybe 21, and mom and dad will remember this uh, very well. My, my older brother, who's a year and a half older than me, um, got married. And I remember his wedding like it, was, like it was yesterday. Not only the wedding itself, but the whole journey to get there. Um, I was like 21 years old. Uh, my two best friends and I, uh, and they were both in the wedding as well as groomsmen. We made the decision, we're going to ride down together, but we're going to make no plans. Right? We're not, I mean, 20-year-old 20, 20 guys don't make plans, right? Um, and so we decided we're going to hop in the car, and we're going to drive till we get tired. We're going to find, and here was the goal. We're going to find the cheapest hotel room we can find in South Georgia, and we're going to share a room. 20-year-old guys, we've got no money. We're going to, so we would look, and back in the day, they used to put the rates up on the signs, you know what I mean? And this is pre-travelocity. There's no hotwire.com. We're just driving down the road, and I don't know if you remember these, but we found, I don't even know what town it was in, we found a Shoney's Inn. It's gross. Um, it's very gross. 
And my best friend, whose name was also Matt, he said, it's 40 bucks a night. It's the cheapest one we've seen. Let's do it. So we go to the cheapest hotel we could find, and we got the cheapest room we could find. Three 20-year-old men, and we go into the room. There's one double bed. So we laid, I mean, the three of us laid crossways across this bed. We hardly slept at all. Um, we're terrified that something was going to eat us in that room. It was so nasty. But I just remember the whole weekend, all right? And we get down to Orlando, where my brother was getting married, where his uh, wife was from. And they, they had picked out this beautiful wedding venue. And they were going to get married um, outside by the lake. In the evening, um, some country club type place outside of Orlando, Florida. But Orlando in the summer, number one, is 250 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) And it rains. And so the day before, maybe it was the morning of, it rained about seven feet of water. And it was 250 degrees And so it was just, the country club place that they were getting married at had turned into the Florida Everglades. It's a swamp. And so they had to get married inside. None of this matters, all right? I'm just giving you some context here. And so they get married inside. It's beautiful. And I remember at this time in my life, this is probably the first wedding I'd been in since I was a little kid. Um, and even this way, like, I, I remember, like, the groomsmen walked down the aisle just like this. Walked down the aisle, and there's my brother, and, like, he, his, his friends were all, they were bad people and goofballs, and so they messed with him, like, walking down the aisle. And, like, one guy walked down, pulled out, like, some fingernail clippers and, like, groomed his fingernails right there in the middle of the wedding. Another guy came down and pulled out some lotion and took care of him. Another guy came down with a Q-tip and, like, just... Right, everybody's laughing and stuff, and, and, and I remember I'm standing, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the, was the best man, I'm standing next to my brother, and I remember, you know the moment, like the doors open in the back, and I'm looking at him, looking at her, like, and I thought he was going to fall out, like, I, I really, I was like, hey man, don't, don't lock your knees, stand up, stand up, and like, he was just floored, and I was floored, I was like, this is the closest I've been to something like this ever, it's beautiful. And that was, that was my experience with weddings. What does that have to do with anything? There's some things in life that you don't know until you experience yourself, right? And standing there as a best man, it's not the same thing as standing there when your bride comes through the door. And I remember, um, I'll get choked up even talking about it now. I'm standing down front, and we also got married in September in Georgia, which we said was the fall but at four in the afternoon, it's not the fall. It's just, it's just another degree of summer. And my dad's standing next to me because dad did our, our, our ceremony. And those doors opened up. And man, I, I, I went from knowing about something. Weeping. Like a little girl. Not proud of it. Like ugly, snot crying. Like, oh, she's beautiful. There's some things you, you don't know until you just don't know until you know. I, I, you know how people like to show their pictures after vacation? And you're polite and you'll pretend that you're interested. You're like, oh yeah, the Grand Canyon, that's a big hole. 
Oh, the water looks so clear there. Glad you enjoyed that. But you don't care. You're just being nice. You laugh, but it's true. But when you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon, when you get close enough that something happens like butterflies and awe, for a person that's never stood on the shores of the ocean, and I used to take, when we were in Colorado, there were a couple times where I had the opportunity to take teenagers uh, to Florida for a conference, and I'd always make sure that we went to the beach first because I had kids that had never seen the beach. So to stand there and watch them experience the grandness and the power of the ocean, that's like a person that knows stuff about but then experiences Jesus. They're not the same. And beloved, hear me. If you just know about Him this morning, and you've never experienced the grace of God changing you from the inside out, don't don't wait another second. There's nothing like it. And that's what he's saying to Nicodemus here. Nicodemus is is leaning in and watching someone else's experience about the Lord. He said, oh, we know you're from God. How do we know? John chapter 2. Like you did some stuff at at Cana at a wedding and and you cleansed the temple. And the Bible, look at chapter 2, verse 23. Do you see what it it says? Chapter 2, verse 23. It says, many believed. The people are believing. Nicodemus hadn't been one of them yet. He's just sort of on the sidelines leaning in. Someone else's experience with the Lord is not enough to make a changed life in you. He's got to to change your your kids' lives. He's got to change your grandkids' lives. That's why the best thing a grandparent can do is share Jesus with their grandchildren. Not just load them up with candy and everything they want when they come to grandma and granddaddy's house. Share the love of Jesus with them. Right? It's one of the best things that a mom and a dad can do of a little one is not just make sure they make it through childhood without too many trips to the hospital, keeping them safe. No, it's to model and teach the love and the grace of Jesus to them. Nicodemus had seen it in other people. He hadn't experienced it himself. Many had believed Nicodemus had just watched. Number three, the Spirit gives new life that is always in Jesus. Look at verse 4 with John chapter 3. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The point that he's making is that you cannot make yourself a Christian. Only the Spirit of God can do that and he cannot be manipulated. He cannot be forced. We can't pray some magic prayer and make the Holy Spirit do something. When the Holy Spirit convicts a person, and some of you may be experiencing that right now, the part that we get 
It's just a response. We don't make it happen. We can't make life. But I can say at the same time, in my 43 years, I have never seen someone approach God honestly and humbly with sincerity of heart and seen them turned away from the Father. I love that. Love it. That's good news for us, beloved. The Spirit of God regenerates, but it's always life in Jesus. Can't be found anywhere else. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the life, he says. John chapter 6, verse 35. I am the bread of life. John chapter 20, verse 31. By believing you may have life in his name. He says that this life that uh, that Jesus talked about, this Zoe life, is only and always in Jesus. The Spirit of God can't give a person life anywhere else because life doesn't exist anywhere else but in Jesus. Christ Jesus is calling Nicodemus to repentance, calling him to turn. He's calling people to do the same today, which means you and I have to lay down anything, everything that stands between us and pursuing Jesus that might prevent us from faithfully having a relationship with him. It's the work of the Spirit. And if you have salvation, it's because the Spirit of God moved in you. And if this morning you're just sitting there saying, I need that, it's the Spirit of God. Spirit of God, he's working in you even now. It's amazing. The Spirit gives life, and it's always in Jesus. Finally, let me share this with you. The Spirit gives life that requires faith in Jesus. Requires faith in Jesus. The Spirit gives new life. It requires faith in Jesus. Let's finish these famous verses. Look at verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, watch, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you. We speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses, watch, this is important, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He's giving Nicodemus something he can relate to. He says, I want you to go back to the Old Testament, Nicodemus. And he's saying, look, right here is an example. I'm going to paint you a picture of what I will be, of what I will do. So that someday, Nicodemus, when the Holy Spirit is working in your life and I am lifted up on the cross, you're going to think back to this conversation. And you're going to remember that I said, just as the serpent in the Old Testament was lifted up and people were rescued and saved and delivered from sickness when I am lifted up on the cross and people look to me for life. They will be rescued and delivered and given life everlasting. That's where we receive new life. It's because the work of Christ on the cross, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that makes us a new creation and a new person. Then Jesus ends with what's been called the Swedish music, this side of heaven. Verse 16 and 17, look at it with me. Jesus looks at him. We forget sometimes that these verses were a conversation. Not just, they weren't written to be put on. It's not wrong to put them, hold them up at a baseball game. That's not there for. He's talking to a man and he says, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son pointing at himself. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This 
is the work of the Spirit. To give the opportunity to transfer a life from existing to living. From consuming to being transformed. The Spirit of God is working at some, even now, I believe in my bones, to enable and give new life, to put their trust in Him. Now, the invitation is twofold. Number one, just be idiotic of me. Not to tell you if you if you need if you need you need a life this morning. Come and find life in Jesus. Beg of you. Whatever excuse is going to pop up in your mind, it's a lie. If you need life in Jesus today, 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 don't wait. Number two. Every, every one of us in this room knows people that need life in Jesus. Show it to them. Share it with them. Beloved, what would happen if everyone in this room shared the gospel with one person this week? What would happen? I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't fully know. I don't know if everybody you share the gospel with this week is going to get saved. But I believe some would. And I believe there are people in your life, in your places of work, customers, people you work with, people that you walk with in your neighborhood, the guy at the hardware store, the lady that checks you out at the grocery store every week. They need to hear that life can be found in Jesus. That's a work of the Holy Spirit that he wants to work through you. So again, twofold. You need Jesus. And just come and say so. Let us introduce you. And number two, you got people you need to pray for this morning? Let's pray for them. Let's pray for opportunities to share the gospel this week. Amen? I'm going to pray. We're going to stand and sing. Just be obedient to what God put on your heart. Just to join this church. If it's something else you're working through, we're here to pray with you. Just be obedient to what God has put on your heart. Let me pray for us right now. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you that life is found in the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. And I, I just pray right now, if there's a person in the room that needs life, Holy Spirit, would you bring life, conviction, it's your kindness that draws us into repentance. So God, even now, would people just feel the warmth and the love of Jesus that would welcome them into new life? God, would you give us a burden for people that don't know Jesus this morning? Holy Spirit, would you, would you put a name on our heart this morning that we would begin praying for that they would see life in Jesus? That we would be faithful with what the Spirit is doing in us and in others. We respond to you and what you are doing. It's your show. You call the shots, God. We respond to you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand as